have a cinch. This is a music appreciation podcast where we're talking about album varieties. How do you do? My name is Mike. His name is JR. Hello. And for the first time on the show, uh, our uh, our friend, our fellow bandmate, and our literal brother, uh, and figurative, uh, Jeremy is here. Jeremy, how are you? Um, all right. Oh, man. This album's a big one. This is a, this is a real big one. We're talking about David Bowie, and let's get the full title, The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars, colon, something about space guy comes to Earth. Right. That's right. If you just if you just look up Ziggy Stardust, you get the song and not the full album. It's it's true. Yeah. Gotta and, type in the rise and fall. And maybe there might be some people out there who just want to hear that song. And they're like, oh, that's the only song I like. And those people are fucking dumb. <laughs> um anyway, yeah. David Bowie probably probably my first one of my first introductions into music from an era before i was born uh up until you know you know throughout my childhood years and uh teenage years uh, for both of us i'd say for for jeremy as well um just listening to music of the time you know just contemporary music whatever was whatever was on the radio at the time you know like you know, modern radio at the time. Uh, and then all of a sudden, someone was like, hey, did you know music was made before 1990? And uh, this, was, this was one of the best guys to do it. Couldn't be possible. Um, and yeah. Uh, they didn't have recording equipment, I thought. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. They should, it was just live concerts on porches. Yep. Um, for... The four track recorder came out January 1st, 1990. A lot of people <laughs> don't know that. Uh, JR, yep. David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. What's your, what's your history with that one? I like, <clears throat> so I've revisited Ziggy later. I knew of Bowie when I was younger. I liked David Bowie because of Stevie Ray Vaughan played with him later um, in his career. Um, and I, was attracted to his some of his songs because of that in the 80s um and then found ziggy stardust later as a teenager um kind of went back and started to hear all these i wouldn't say full songs but all these little parts like that's one thing that bowie's like especially this album sticks with me he's got these little short pieces of music or phrases of vocals that just like stick with you and um i went back and listened to this record and uh mutual friends of all three of ours had a cover band that played these songs and um really started to realize you know how good it was i would say it's probably song george in um you know the what is it life aquatic movie that kind of um brought a lot of people at, at that time back to this but uh revisit it later and it's one of my favorite records i mean top front to back it's pretty much it's great. I would say one of the best acoustic rockers, um, <clears throat> you know, you'll hear 
his influence or everything, my chemical romance of flaming lips and all that from this record. And, you know, as someone who we make the 1990 joke, but you know, I like shit that rocks, you know, and uh, this album rocks somehow with, with it being very light and, and it's not a, a lot of distorted guitar and stuff, but uh, he brought the space rock to all of us. So. Yeah. It's one of those things where we're, this album in particular people will talk about david bowie as being like having like this like rock era and and ziggy stardust being that rock era but you're right it is it's not really heavy in any way i mean it there's there's a lot of like lighter touches to it and um strings and shit yeah yeah um yeah i don't i i mean he is a rocker but just in like a very different way like in a in a style all on his own you know um jeremy he's like, got a well he's got a unique vocal style that uh i mean it, in rock in the 70s i guess had a lot of more fals- falsetto type of vocals but he, his was his was weird it was not it's not like a lot of others yeah just the, the way it's he's not really fine-tuned with his singing he's more he's more like a joe strummer than a you know, uh, Robert Plant or whatever. Right, right. He croons a lot too. Yeah, sort of like and and uh, yeah, and of course, like uh, a lot of a lot of cocaine use over the years started dropping <laughs> that voice down a few octaves, and you know, then we got we got sort of like the Bowie that a lot of people like to imitate, which is the the Bowie the like the low voice, you know, that people mm-hmm. like to imitate a lot more than uh, the higher voice. Well, let's get let's give cigarettes their due. Oh yeah, that's true. Hey, let's talk about cigarettes. the guy like ate cigarettes for years. <laughs> yeah. I swear. Yeah, cocaine can get the majority of the credit. No. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, what was your Jeremy? What was? Can you remember like your first introduction to Ziggy and Bowie? It might have been like the same time that I did, right? Probably the same time. Yeah, I I mean, before was the labyrinth i had no idea who bowie was <laughs> yeah. and and then like nirvana covered him and then nine inch nails brought him out on tour we we're talking about 90s bands earlier that i mean that was kind of how we grew up and and those 90s artists uh sort of brought david bowie to our generation and then you start going back to like let's what's who's this david bowie guy and i mean he had like uh, what was it like 11 or 12 solid records throughout the decade the the decade of the 70s yeah. it's just like so much music like where do you start well ziggy stardust is a great jumping off point yeah it, from that sure. huge body of work yeah uh we had a we had a a friend in high school who who was a real big fan and uh you know through his through his uh mother you know he learned about david bowie and then kind of like brought it on to us but the um yeah you're right about about these bands in the 90s i remember this was happening a few times where these 90s bands were sort of like helping elevate or help like people rediscover artists like nine inch nails like went out on tour with david bowie and i remember uh pearl jam was was really bringing Neil Young back around for a lot of the younger generation. So it was it was just kind of a, a I don't know a thing that was happening in the, like kind of a phenomenon 
Tip of the hat, like, yeah, you're right. This is where we get it from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and then, like later, like Tool went on tour with King Crimson, and we're basically, I, I think so. I, I think they might have done that. It's yeah. Sort of just being like, yeah, here, you know, this is this this was us. You know, this you know, this is what we were listening to. Um, but yeah, I, okay. Well, let's, I, Ziggy Stardust was his fifth album. Uh, did it? Did that one in London? There's a studio called Trident. I don't think Trident has come up yet uh, on any of our uh, uh, episodes. But yeah, this was, you know, if you if you don't know, like, it's kind of like a loose concept, right? About uh, about a, a, an alien who comes to Earth as a rock star and drives rock star, supposedly supposed to be a savior during like an apocalypse sort of era. Or the apocalypse event happening. Um, Bowie himself has said that his biggest influences for this were were one Iggy Pop because you know he loved that guy. And it's kind of funny when when he said when I read that that Iggy Pop was one of his big influences for this. Then the you know the name Ziggy, you know, kind of is like oh did you just kind of like rip off his name and just add a add a Z to it? <laughs> yeah. But he, claim, he claims that it's from some tailor shop, right? That he saw. Oh, okay. Yeah, he claims that he saw he was on, on a train and saw a tailor shop called Ziggy's oh. that the train passed, and he liked it because it had that connotation. Yeah, yeah. Because but who knows if there was really a Ziggy's or not? <laughs> I know. But the other like main influence was a singer named Vince Taylor, an English singer, Vince Taylor that. I didn't really know much about until I started researching him today. And he was like, uh, you know, gold chain, leather jacket, wearing uh, like very, very handsome, very like um, kind of a bad boy, kind of like an English Elvis kind of guy. And his, his band was called the Playboys. But his style, his persona, was very big influence on Bowie in creating the character of Ziggy. Even yeah, though, I wish there was more on that guy. I would like to learn more about yeah. him. I mean, he wasn't really, <clears throat> he wasn't really like, um, you know, sort of like androgynous or, or, you know, gender fluid the way that like he portrays Ziggy. This guy, he was, he was actually like way more like masculine, but, uh, but it's like, he takes this guy and then it's like, you turn him into a glam rocker. And then that's where you get, you know, he started us. Um, yeah, it. Uh, he was on tour. Bo was on tour in '71 in America, and that's where he picked up all of his musical influence for the writing of Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust. Both those albums, he did like something like three dozen, four dozen songs for both of those records. You know, and he, you know, he picked up a lot of that. He picked up a lot of the like the blues and the and the 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 doo wop and kind of stuff like that. There's a there's a cover on Ziggy as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a bluesy song. Yeah, and uh, there was actually he was trying to de decide on two different covers, uh, and he ended up on that one. And we'll we'll get to that. But um, the it was just the recording session was described as like really like uh, fast paced and frantic. They did a lot of the tracks live. Um, it was said that. 
a lot of Bowie's first vocal takes were the ones they kept. You can uh, tell <laughs> they worked so they they worked so well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I mean, if you've ever done, and we've talked about live recording before, if you've ever done that uh, in a studio, yeah, I mean, it it can it can be very fast paced, and, and especially if you're you're laying down a track and you just go and listen to it real quick. And if there's one little thing wrong, you're like, let's just do the whole thing again, you know? And then maybe if you just can't get it right, then then you resort to the the overdubbing. It's, and especially when, when doing vocals, it's easy to get in your head and overthink it. Mm-hmm. And and whenever you're just laying down what you think is a scratch track, sometimes that ends up just being the best one because you weren't worried at all about any of that shit. Yeah. Yeah. The imperfections make it rock and roll. Just put some layers of instruments over it and you're not going to notice much. Claps. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I said, I, yeah, he I, he remains today like probably one of my favorite uh, songwriters. Like as far as it goes to like lyrically, he he was he was very different than a lot of people. He actually he put some some real thought and some real uh, uniqueness into his lyric writing as opposed to a lot of other people, a lot of other guys writing music. You know, one of his big influences was uh, Mark Bolin. And as we've talked mm-hmm. before, doing our T-Rex episode, like his lyrics were just sort of like, like um, what, I mean, what's going on here with your, you just kind of create like uh, an image in your head and you, you write some words around that one image, but. Yeah, I was really surprised when I was reading the, a lot of the lyrics and like I just didn't know like all of them. But mm-hmm. reading them, it's very abstract. Gives you images, but like I'm not really sure if a lot of it means anything. Yeah. He's just sort of like, he finds a world to uh, write something about and then he comes up with this sort of insane poetry at times. Yeah, yeah, very true. I mean... Um, like we talked about the album before this hunky dory which i think probably contains some of like the you know the thickest headiest lyrics of his career on that album uh he definitely was ziggy he, he kind of wanted to tighten it up a bit and of course this being a concept he you know he was he started writing the songs that were meant for hunky dory but then when he cut them and decided that they should be for this then he's he had to like find a way to incorporate them into this idea and it's not really a concept album as more it's just like a concept band really yeah i I never really i always thought like there was some sort of a a overall story to this album and there really isn't each each song has its own sort of yeah it's play on something yeah it's the character that and it's the band that he went on tour with you know like like he didn't like Obviously, you know, the marquee had to, the marquees on tour had to be like, this is David Bowie, had to write that up there. Because if they put on the marquee Ziggy Stardust, people were like, uh, who the fuck is that? Like, why would I go see this guy I've never even heard of? But like at concerts, you know, he, on stage, he, he wasn't David Bowie. It was, it was the Spiders from Mars. Has anybody else been able to do that? I mean, I guess technically Prince went from Prince to the artist formerly, but he did that because of contract. I mean, there's the famous Chris Gaines, Garth Brooks. Yeah, I think the Arcade Fire did it. They did it? Yeah. They they had like a whole other band and they performed on TV. 
or they, they, they called themselves something else. And I don't recall exactly what it was, but I saw the performance. It was the Arcade Fire, but they called themselves something else. But Arcade Fire, huge David Bowie fans. Yeah, yeah you know. that's true. Um, yeah, the Chris Gaines thing. I, I had forgotten all about that, uh, that whole right. thing. Garth Brooks is Chris Gaines in concert. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it, always, mean... it always blew my mind, too, when he was, uh, he was the host of SNL and Chris Gaines was, uh, was the musical guest. And when he, <laughs> when he introduced Chris Gaines, how did he do it? How did he? How did he run over there? And, how did he and do? He, I don't know. Wake up so fast. Uh, he's <laughs> threw that soul patch on real quick. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's supposed to be live television, right? I, I, uh, it's funny how much that didn't work. I mean, we all yeah. want, we all love Ziggy so much, and we love this creativity, and we're all wanting another artist to do it, and then someone does it, and we just, man, he just missed the mark. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think there's anyone else that really did it like like Bowie. Yeah, you know, <laughs> like I said, I Prince Prince changed it, but that was because he was trying to break away from his album, his record contract. So I, I didn't really know. I didn't expect a Garth Brooks reference in this. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just got. I just thought about it because you were saying David Bowie is Ziggy Stardust, and I'm thinking, yeah. who else has ever had to really? I mean, there's probably comedians and there's probably some Broadway stuff we're not thinking of or something like that. You're totally, right? You're totally yeah. right, though. Garth Brooks, the total, he just went for it, right? He did. He did. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to do something totally different. And and everyone's going to know, but I'm going to act like I don't know. And just be like, it's a new guy. <laughs> you know, someone's going to ask Garth about Chris. He's going to tell you what he thinks. It's not the same guy. <laughs> hey, Garth Brooks seems like the kind of guy who's favorite album is Ziggy Stardust, but he hates <laughs> but he hates the song Ziggy Stardust. Right, right. Um, he thinks he, he likes this. He, he, he tells people he likes Ziggy Stardust and then when they ask him what songs he says like later Bowie songs that were on the radio, like China Girl, man. It's my favorite Ziggy Stardust song. Be <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. all right, Garth. <laughs> uh, I, I, I always think of uh, when it comes to David Bowie. I always think of a joke in the Venture Brothers, where um, that you know David Bowie is a character on the Venture Brothers, and the two henchmen guys. One guy was like, he said something like, "Oh, I can't believe that's the guy that that's the guy that wrote uh, Changes Two, the album Changes Two. And the other henchman was like, <laughs> he was like, "That's a best of you poser." <laughs> um. Uh. Anyway, yeah, hey, we'll, we'll get into it. Hey, Trek One, like I said, supposedly a concept about an uh, apocalypse. And so they just start off with um, these, the opening of the story. Five years, pretty, right? Pretty epic song to open the album with, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It, sounds it, like really, it sounds like an ender. It does. Yeah, it does. It, 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 like we said, you know, people talk about this being such a rock album. And it opens with, it opens with a, a a ballad, pretty much. You know, a very like epic ballad with the this the very slow fade in from the drums, like yeah. a, a very interesting way Classic. to open an album too. Mm-hmm. Um, Real yeah. dry Neil Youngish drums. They um, this maybe has the record for saying the title of the song the most times in the in the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, how many how many years do we have? 
Can he? Oh, he's, can he, can he get I don't know. I definitely made that dad joke while he was singing it, while I was listening to it the last couple of weeks. I was like, "How many? Come on, tell us." I didn't get that. Five, like five years to the day, or from like right, last week. Right. Wait a minute, yeah. yeah, you're saying five years, but uh, like get me that... to the second because you keep saying it. <laughs> yeah. When did the clock start on this? Uh, yeah, because it's supposedly you know the newsman. He said he. He says it, and he's. They say his face is all wet, so he knew he wasn't lying. Uh, then the, the, there's like some, some moments in it where you kind of wonder what would happen if if that was like true. And in Bowie's mind, what he thinks is that he would see a woman that would just start punching little children in the face. That's what he <laughs> thinks would happen. And someone someone had to like stop her, or otherwise they were like, oh, she's gonna kill these kids. He oh. says something in that line. The black pulled her off. Yeah, I have that, no that, idea who he's talking about. I wonder if that's like a British reference to the police. Maybe I. I don't know. Oh yeah, because we call them the blue here sometimes. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but yeah, you know, he's. It's it's a great song to be honest. I mean, it really it's it really like everyone wants to like start like shouting, you know you kind of feel like you want to start shouting at the end of that song along with it. Yeah. Um, it, it gets you feeling something by the end of the song because he tells, he tells a huge story in the first half of the song. Like, yeah. gives you all this imagery. Yeah, and, he, and you know, there's the line where it's like, I never knew I needed so many people. And it, it yeah, you kind of, you have that, that one feeling. gets you. Yeah, you kind of have that feeling that, you know, obviously the world isn't ending, but you think of you know, you think about the emotion of, of like, as, as your life draws to a close, you're like, oh, like all the shit that I didn't experience and all these people that I haven't talked to in forever, you know, you're trying to cram it all in. But, um, yeah, anyway, uh, crazy hurting opener. your brain a lot. Yeah, crazy opener. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, and then track two completely abandons the, the concept that he started out with. With a song Soul Love that really has nothing to do with aliens or apocalypses. It's um just kind of a just a weird little song about uh you know the the damages that love can do to people. Got a got a cool little time change in this song too. Mm-hmm. That I yeah. never I never noticed before. Yep. This reminds me of Flaming Lips for sure. Like they definitely took a lot from this song. Just the whole I'll probably say it a couple more times, but just really good mix of acoustic in yeah. with like a groove, like makes the acoustic guitar can sound very dorky very easily and they make it, he makes it really cool. That little 12 th- string thing he's playing the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's he, like, he was big with the acoustic, like he used the acoustic a lot on the previous album, Hunky Dory. Mm-hmm. And so like when they got to this one, I think like Mick Ronson, when he started adding his like his heavier sounding electric over it it definitely created a cool like a uh, layer cool like tandem thing going on yeah. it's funky though too this one uh, this one yep. another another drum intro yeah and, and lyrically it's i i couldn't really tell what the song was about other than like interpretations of love yeah the different forms it takes like there's the one that's like oh you know the love between two people and then he also mentions like the love of God, like as being like a different sort of form. 
love of a, of a, a baby and a cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um, but love is not loving. Love is not love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, I, what is he, what the, the hell is he talking about? <laughs> like, how many times can I fit the word love into one one line? Um, but yeah, and then this one also has like one of uh, one of David Bowie's token sax solos that he likes to play himself. And throughout there's the like years, a double sax. Oh, is it okay? I, there's I know two saxes playing, and they're not exactly like playing the same thing the whole yeah. time. I'm, a little I, off. I know throughout the years he has he has like endured a bit of criticism on uh, his sax playing, as to you know people say things like uh, why why not just hire someone else who can play it better. <laughs> people will say things like why do you play it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, he knows how to play the saxophone, which is, uh, you know, more than I could say for myself. Yeah. But, you know, you're also a professional musician and you, you want things to sound good, right? Right. Yeah. Well, anyway. It's part uh, of the show, I guess. Part of the show. Does that mean, did he do it live? I think. It's just part of the show. Just, I mean, part of him being an alien is that he can, like, play all these different instruments. Yeah. I, I don't know if you ever played the sax live. I, maybe not on the Ziggy tour, but in, like, later in life, later in his career, I think he did. I could have swore he played piano, too, but it's not. We'll talk about that later, but it's yeah. not him on yeah. that. But. Um, uh, Moon Age Daydream is next. The popular song. Everyone knows. Such it. a classic song. Very it's like, classic. It's probably one of my favorites on the whole album. I thought for sure this was a single from it, but ne- yeah, it never got released in the seven inch. It just it's only later. Crazy. It's such a great like karaoke song or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Fan uh, favorite for sure. It's got like the three parts. What my wife calls the three parts, uh-huh. which is just like three <laughs> verse, chorus, and bridge. Three very strong, you know. Yeah, and then the and then the chorus. He just takes the chorus like to the limit at the end. Just, yeah. just keep repeating it and vamping on it, which is another, like, like once it reaches, once he gets to that third time, that third repeat, he's just like he's vamping the melody. He's like adding like little things to it, and that's yeah. that's obviously like the the soul music that he picked up, you know, while traveling through America, because we've talked about that before with like guys like Al Green and uh, just just vamp, just uh, just let it out. When, well it's different it. live too you know whether it's vamping or just like i think that you know a lot of us got to see you know like i was talking about our, our friends lads insane do these songs live once you see these songs live you really feel how rocking they are and yeah. how like jamming there are because you know the the mix doesn't really necessarily show that because it's a little bit thinner and there's the the distorted distorted guitars and a little bit more in the back seat but yeah. this one has so many rocking stops and like, you know, upbeat shit. That, I don't know. This it's a classic song. And 440 being on the radio, probably somewhere while we speak right now. That's pretty awesome. Have a song that's four minutes, almost five minutes long, be a be a late single. I mean, and it doesn't necessarily tie in with the the concept, you know, the Ziggy Stardust concept. But if you read along surprisingly with that name, yeah, but you can, you can kind of see maybe, maybe it does. Maybe this is like, maybe this is a song that he's, that Ziggy is singing, you know, I mean, it starts out with the line, like I'm an alligator, you know, I, 
I mean, the song is in first person. It, it could, it really just could could be about him, just not like mentioned. Wish there had been like a movie or something. Yeah. <laughs> to explain it. Uh, so there's been a, there's a couple songs on this album that were actually, re- this is one of them, that were released as uh, singles, like different versions, like early versions um, as singles from a very brief band that Bowie formed at this time called Arnold Corns. That's the name of the band, Arnold Corns. Um, I like that. Which is, which is, um, <laughs> pretty it's it's the opposite of ziggy stardust in a way you know i like thinking of a british guy saying it way better than me saying (laughs) arnold corns arnold corns yeah yeah um i'm not gonna do it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah and then he he re-recorded you know he he redid it rewrote it a little bit re-recorded for this album but uh that's something like a like a company that makes different kinds of corn blue corn got yellow corn do you um, have candy corn no <laughs> yeah. and it's not it's not listed in the uh the credits but that you know the the bridge part the da, 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 da. do you do you hear like a flute in there maybe it's like it's horns maybe yeah, there's there's some kind of a, a, a blowy instrument. I don't know what it is. It's probably a flute. I could. I mean, it definitely was. It definitely wasn't piano and guitar playing that. There'd be some line. string, some strings. I, I I sing along with that too. There's no words happening in the bridge, but it's like you can't help that melody is very infectious. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the instrumental melodies on this album are 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 as as infectious as like you know yeah it's those little parts man like when the song we're about to talk about it's all about just the little and that's the next one star man which was love it love this one too the lead single this one came out this came out as a seven inch before the album so this is what people were you know this is what he wanted people to know about this album and i think it's a very good representation for this album if you're like you're like oh what are you working on like what's the concept well it's like here's this song Starman." you know it, i mean changing music he really was you know yeah and this is i mean moon age daydream and Starman, these two very Oof, strong very, well, very well-known songs really really strong and surprisingly Starman isn't the end of side one but those two those two songs together that's 10 minutes almost of just real mad magic on the record in a row. Yeah. Yeah. An- another big like karaoke uh, hit too. This one. You could make, you could almost make like a comic book out of this song. There's, it, there's yeah. a story they hear, they hear something coming from the radio. Everybody's like going around like, what the heck was that? <laughs> it's like, Oh, it's like an, it's like aliens contacting us. Some, some sort of a, a being from outer space. Yeah. And it's one of those, it's another one of those songs too, where you always think about, uh, you think about movies that like lift, lift the, the, the titles of like, uh, songs, you know, to represent the movie or whatever. And of course there's the Jeff Bridges movie, Starman about an alien Yeah, came out like uh, a decade later. I wonder if Carpenter took the, the title for that movie based on the song. Yeah. I, I mean, like I said, it's one of those things where you you see a movie title and you're like hey 
that's that's also a song title was that i mean was that intentional uh yeah and then side side a ends with uh, a cover uh it ain't easy which is probably has the most rock like the heaviest rocking part of all the songs on, yeah. on this album yeah and there's only two parts to this song this is verses and choruses yeah that's it and it's just the uh you know the the harpsichord part kind of makes the verse like real light but and then when the chorus kicks in it it almost sounds like there's 10 guitars playing this i mean it, it's it's real heavy it, the it's a great can... like quiet loud quiet loud dynamic in this song yeah um, sounds like a song the beatles would cover yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, like, like I said, this was a this is a cover written by a guy named Ron Davies. The song came out in '70, so it's only a couple years old when uh, Bowie got it. It was the this was the first um, a first completed recorded song for the album too. Was the cover song? He he got this one done before any of the others, <laughs> and there was there was some debate. He actually was working with another cover, and he was he was kind of having a debate with himself on which cover to release and the other one was chuck berry's around and around and it was it was kind of a toss-up between those two and i guess there is like a demo out there somewhere of him doing chuck berry's around and around i think they he has the a right whole, one yeah <laughs> he has a whole album of covers called pinups uh but i don't think that song is on it no um yeah, I never, I never listened to pinups. That was one that I just never got around to. It's good. It's pretty good. Um, That's this song, uh, Here Comes the Night. I, I love it. Anyway, go ahead. Oh, the yeah. next. It, well, who, who did that song? Do you know? <laughs> I have no idea. But when I heard <laughs> Bowie's version of the song, I was like, this is a great song. I don't know. I just love it. Yeah, that's the only one that needs to be there. Um, yeah. And then you flip it over side B starts off with uh, another kind of slow ballad. He likes to he likes to start the sides off like this. Uh, Lady Stardust. This is where it starts to get real into the concept, like this this side of it mm-hmm. for sure. Um, Lady Stardust was it's people say that more than likely this was uh, about Mark Bolin, or at least Mark Bolin was the influence. For this character in the song uh, that kind of makes sense yeah and yeah it's kind of like you're not surprised someone tells you that like oh this is based on mark bowen like, oh, okay i get it like oh <laughs> yeah so it's yeah it's about a uh it's about a, a bisexual rock star uh wears makeup and has long black hair um very glammed out um yeah i mean i mean that could either be that could either be Mark Bolin or, or Oscar Wilde, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oscar Wilde, you famous rock musician. Um, He's singing with Poison now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, this this is a good one. Um, I like this, but I'd say that the the next song is just called Star. He he's really really going for the star theme now. I think one of my my favorite bowie deep cuts ever Star? love this song yeah, yeah. he, he has really you can tell he's having so much fun on this song with with the backup 
vocals. La, 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 la. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so goofy. It makes more me flaming lips ish. Like this. Yeah. I, I totally hear so many bands getting influenced by it. Yeah. And this, this has that like almost like, um, like a 50s or 60s style sort of like rockabilly thing going on in a way. Well, that legendary Stardust Cowboy or whatever, that this, it's another person that he kind of based the Ziggy character off of was like a psychobilly uh, musician. Yeah. There's like this crazy guy. Again, there's not a lot on him. It's kind of like Victor. Like you want to read more about them. There's not really a whole lot about them, but his name is like legendary Stardust Cowboy uh, was his character's name. And he was like a psychobilly artist. But I, I like the lyrics to this because it's like the paths that people choose. You know, the, the first guy, he goes off to belt, fight in Belfast. The next guy, he stays home and starves. You know, but he, he was like, I, I could just be a rock and roll star. How about that? He, he even calls him out by name. I, it actually makes me wonder if he actually knew these people. <laughs> yeah. This, this, this song is about him, uh, David Bowie. It yeah. feels like. Yeah, like, in a way, it's like and this is my transfer. He he says the word transformation a lot, and this is like my transformation into a rock and roll star. Uh, being that it's it's a thing where like he just you know he can't do he can't just have natural talent. He has to like he has to create a he has to create a gimmick. He's got to create this character, and yeah, and that's what this album's all about. Um, and then yeah, the outro just to this song is like real big he decides to like slow it down and have a big outro so that was real cool um and then hang on to yourself is next and this is another one from arnold corns he released this one like as an early single from his from this weird little side band he had arnold corns And this is like this, of- like this song too. It has a very all punk rock style, almost re- like Ramones or something. Oh, yeah. Exactly, yeah, Ramones for sure. Yeah, those those guys. Yeah, that, I mean, this song is you could say is like one of those one of those songs that created the the proto punk sort of uh, feel, the sound. Um, and another one that has one of those musical parts that you'll always remember yeah. like maybe more than the song itself oh the guitar melody and the bridge yeah. it's like you wait for that part after you know the song you're like i i can't wait for that part to come up <laughs> yeah i can't think of too many other artists that are like that other than like the beatles or like there's just there's little parts of his songs that are just so memorable it's insane i can't this this album fulfills a lot of them for bowie but like there are just these little snippets of music or like vocals that are just couldn't do without yeah and i i had read that ronson was like in the studio would like hum a lot of his solo parts to bowie to like let him know in a way that he was like this is this is the you know as he was like writing stuff on the piano or acoustic Ronson would be like, this is what I have in my head. And he would like hum it to him. And like, oh yeah, that's perfect. But he'd be like, oh, that's nice. Fuck off. <laughs> Do, his own... <laughs> Do his own shit. I, I feel like Mark Ronson is somebody Bowie totally trusted for like writing. For stuff. sure. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that we, we've talked about this before about um, solo artists that really wouldn't be who they were 
if it wasn't for like the guy standing next to him. You know, we had boy, to, yeah, he's like, I need an assistant, Mark. Yeah, I need you to <laughs> run it uh, by me first, though. Oh, dude, yeah. I, I, I keep saying Mark, don't I? It's Mick. Sorry, Mick. I'm sorry. Yeah. I was yeah. saying Mark. Oh, no, uh, yeah. Okay, there, Mick Ronson. There there's is two Micks. Yeah, yeah there's, there's two Micks and a Rick. There um, is Mark Ronson. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, he's a shit. producer. That's why I have to keep messing up. Oh, sorry. I, uh, I may have said Mark first. I can't. Yeah. I, I it's a, it's it's a it's a travesty and we're just gonna move past it are they related i don't know um, good question i don't know either so the title track comes up real late in the album and uh, this mm-hmm. is uh ziggy stardust uh very popular song because because of the guitar riff for sure is it's wor- worth the, it's worth the wait it's worth mm-hmm. the wait i think uh, yeah, and I mean, it's one of those opening guitar riffs that goes down in history as, as in, incredibly memorable. It's on Guitar Hero, I believe. <laughs> one of them. Yeah, it is. Yep. Um, yeah, and it, he, there's a, a word in this, in the lyrics, the word Naz, N-A-Z-Z, and I had to look that up. And uh, apparently it just, you know, this is just an old 60s, 70s word for meaning hip. But I had never heard it. It's it's very British for sure. But I I in searching this, I found a band called Naz from the 60s, and it was Todd Rundgren's very first band. Um any good? Didn't listen to him. Oh. Uh, you know what? Probably never will. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what else? Fuck you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't think I've ever really listened to Todd Rundgren either. I honestly, I'm not interested. I, I don't, not really interested in it. Yeah. Um, he could like who knows he could like later in life he'll he'll end up being like your favorite songwriter of all time and you're like oh why didn't I it's you got like two it's years like the work. day before I die like <laughs> yeah. oh no oh, Todd yeah. Rundgren is incredible. <laughs> I look at every day before yesterday is pre Rundgren. <laughs> I'm such a different man now. Post Rundgren. Uh, Suffragette City, one of my favorite songs. Another two, like Moon Age Daydream Starman and Ziggy Stardust, Suffragette City, just strong. Two songers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, I hear this song a lot. Uh, They play it at my workplace. It might be one of the only Bowie songs they play consistently. Mm hmm. Uh, super rocking song. Um, my band Scram, we covered this song a couple times at shows. It was a lot of fun to play. I've heard Alice in Chains do a cover of it, uh, which was pretty good. It, it was pretty true to form. Big influence on John Cameron Mitchell, who did Hedwig and Angry yeah. Inch, this yeah. song specifically. And this was the B side to Starman. So when that, that seven inch came. Ooh, out, can you imagine? Shit. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, B-sides are usually okay, and I'm a guy that likes a B-side, but can you imagine Suffragist City being your B-side? Shit. Yeah, it, yeah, that's a lead single for I, sure. I, I would say, it, I mean, it may have gotten even as much play as the A-side. People would went out and got this seven inch and they're like oh this is like- yeah that kind of sucks then you what are you gonna do if you once it is your single you're like well you already got it out as a b-side shit yep. you can't re-release it put like another song on it it's a, such a vague meaning in this song too not really sure what he's talking about 
it's like i mean we all know what suffragette is or at least yeah. you know most people would yeah but what is this suffragette city that he's talking about is it, is it a, a city full of women uh yeah i, I don't know and, and obviously the- suffragette refers to you know hardcore feminism they were you know fighting for the right to vote yeah yeah so i yeah you're right i mean but I, he's talking about hooking up with them right? like, <laughs> yeah. is, it, is it kind of a misogynist song i don't know it's yeah, very, yeah i mean there is a line where he's telling he's telling a, a friend of his that he's got to like get out like a friend that's been sleeping on his couch or something he's like hey you yeah. gotta get out i got someone coming over there's only room for one of us and here she comes yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Um, yeah, and then the closer, Rock and Roll Suicide, um, big closer. Uh, this was actually like two years later in 74, they released this as a single. Which I, I always think that's weird too to release a single like years after an album comes out. Yeah, we just talked about that. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, the, the band always closed with this song live because it was like part of the whole it like wrapped up the concept with Ziggy like collapsing basically like uh, he, he like failed his he got to be a rock and roll star but he in the end he like he dies he like he fails to save the world or whatever mm-hmm. and I this song's really good uh, I mean like lyrically it, it's it's incredibly positive like the the whole like you know the lyrics behind you know like you're not the every time he says you're not alone in the song like it, it really kind of gives me goosebumps and i i remember on uh the like that the day that he died and i went to work and i i put you know i put bowie on on shuffle like this to it and when this song came up on shuffle it, it kind of like this is the song that sort of like hit me the hardest you know on that day and i'll always think of you know i always think of that yeah, it's great. The the strings at the end it ends with the the big string thing. The only thing I don't like is it doesn't come back around to five years good because like five years is such a closer too. Yeah, you know, like if you listen to a record on repeat, it's kind of like ah another closer <laughs> again. Otherwise, it's great, and you can totally tell that's the one they end with when they play. Yeah, you know, it's got that feel to it. Which again, a lot of people I think were influenced by. Prince and you know like I said John Cameron Mitchell the end of had the movie Hedwig's totally the last song is totally like this song just that epic ending to something that probably should have been a movie or something but just wasn't there was never like enough of a thought of what Ziggy really was like Jeremy kind of nailed it like it's it's never really a it's never really a concept that comes together. It never really gels at all. It's just kind of like these shot, these ideas that are shot off the bow, you know, but that never really comes together. It could still work. I think in some kind of visual movie or something, they should do something like that. Maybe with it, yeah. do some a animated really, thing a, or some. A really good writing team would, could probably piece it together. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I know there is this, I don't know if it's a biopic or if it's just about his time as Ziggy, but I know there's this movie out called Stardust. I never saw mm-hmm. it. it. It didn't get good reviews. Yeah. Um, Those are iffy of, when they get good reviews. Based off the Neil Gaiman book, I believe, Stardust. No, no, that's a completely different thing. Oh, yeah? <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, that's, that's like a, which, that's a fantasy epic. Which probably exists too, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's, 
that's like a, a like a fantasy epic from the 90s uh, this movie came out just a couple of years ago oh and and it, Man, it, is, it is based on bowie all these things with the same titles yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. uh i mean hey i mean gaming could have titled his book that you know based on his <clears throat> love of david bowie who knows maybe um yeah so that's it that's uh that's the album uh the guys on it obviously bowie vokes acoustic guitar oh yeah acoustic i was gonna say that acoustic is was probably the biggest instrument on that on that last song or i mean that's the most that you hear the acoustic is on rock and roll suicide yeah, yeah he, he's only credited with playing the acoustic um not electric not piano just the just the vocals and the saxophone it seems like he would but he doesn't yeah and mick ronson gets all of the electric guitar credits and he gets some piano, so I'd say the majority. The only piano. So yeah, there, and there's some really good piano on this record. Uh, he did all these string arrangements too. Uh, all the backing vokes were him, uh, and then the rest of the spiders: uh, Trevor Boulder on bass, uh, Mick Woodmansey on drums, and then a uh, interesting, uncredited on the album, but later revealed. Uh, jr who plays harpsichord freaking rick wakeman rick wakeman on the cover song though as well so they weren't committed they didn't know which song was going to go on there so they were probably okay with it he was uh, he was a big keyboard for hire for a lot of bands actually Uh, he played for sabbath too he um he was asked to join the touring spiders from mars band uh at this time and he turned it down and went on to form yes in the same year mm-hmm. so wow. good decision okay. kind of like uh foo fighters yes. not uh dave Grohl not joining tom petty and doing the foo fighters it's like the hardest phone call to be like uh you know <laughs> saying no to david bowie but then we got yes out of it so that's cool yeah, Dave, Dave's like, hey, Tom, I, I wrote my own songs, and I'd hey. rather do that. <laughs> yeah, we actually have a concept, bro. <laughs> and, and kind of related to that, uh, Dale Crover from the Melvins was asked to be the drummer for Nirvana, and he turned that down. Yeah. And Dave Grohl got the job instead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's also a Dana Gillespie, who was uh, an actress. She, hmm. she got... Like it was later revealed, she did the backing vocals on "It Ain't Easy." Yeah, um, she didn't get a credit for that either, though. There's definitely some female vocals on that song. Uh, and then all the production engineering went to Ken Scott, who uh, was an engineer for lots and lots of Beatles records. He's that's like one of the five, one of the five major engineers for the Beatles. Uh, you okay there? Sorry. <laughs> you, got some, you got some stardust in your throat. He's allergic to the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> I just hear the word Beatles and I, I, I start producing a lot of phlegm. <laughs> so Ringo Starr, Stardust, it's like a double. You got the Stardust and Ringo Starr. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the UK, yeah, peaked at number five. And here's what's interesting. In the US, it only Whoa. peaked at 75. Yeah, like, they're both low, which I could see. 
we've got we've gone through so many albums that we're we are so surprised would make it into the top five in the Billboard. Mm-hmm. This one, this one, I'm surprised that it, I'm surprised it's so freaking low. But yeah, it's the head of its time, I think, a little bit. Um, but yeah, so that's that's it. I mean, that's that's a big one for '72, yeah. right? I mean, it's highly influential. Highly influential. One of those albums that we now know it was only really big retrospectively. You know, mm-hmm. it, it comes to you know the forefront when somebody asks like, "What David Bowie should I get into?" I really want to check him out. I, it, it honestly, it comes to mind like immediately. This one album, yeah, check it out. Yep. And and uh, you know he he really he was one of those guys too that like completely abandoned it the very like he the you know his uh marketing team and the label were just sort of like how do we how do we market this and he's like don't because my next character is named aladdin aladdin saint and they're like what so you're just completely abandoning this idea that you spent years developing this like elaborate concept he's like yeah now i'm gonna make a different one Hey, it's a good thing. A good thing that Aladdin Sane is also a great album. Otherwise, <laughs> yeah. he probably would have tried to go back to Ziggy. Like, okay, okay, I'll do Ziggy again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and of, of course, like PR people were like, okay, uh, it's uh, Ziggy for Americans then. And it's like, yeah, sure, whatever. <laughs> Ziggy um, McDonald McDonald's. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, cool. Thanks for being here, Jeremy. And happy 50th birthday.